Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio here on this Sunday uh, after the Iron Bowl beat down Alabama 52-21 to 21 over the Auburn Tigers uh, as they do cover the spread, as we all predicted here on BAMS Radio last week. It was a 24.5 point spread. Alabama covering that against the Auburn Tigers. They got off to a little bit of a slow start, uh, leading 17-14 to 14 at halftime before truly turning on the afterburners and blowing Auburn off the field in the second half. Now we wither the, the future of Gus Malzahn. Looks like he will be back, uh, but with a revamped coaching staff uh, as he uh, tries to save himself going into next year. But Alabama on to bigger and better things. The SEC championship game, which is going to be the rematch everyone's anticipated of the national championship game. It'll be uh, 11-1 Georgia against 12-0 Alabama. Alabama uh, was an early 10.5-point favorite about three hours ago. Uh, but as uh, Thomas Watts just informed me, and Thomas is with us tonight as always, the producer extraordinaire of this show and co-host of BAMS Radio, it's already being has been bet up to nearly 14 points. And I thought, you know, last week that it would be about a 14-point spread, so I'm not really surprised by that. And, of course, we've got our third amigo as always, noted insider and former Alabama national champion from 89 to 1993, William Redfish Barger, uh, who still follows the program very closely. William, welcome back to BAMS tonight on this Sunday. Your initial uh, impressions of Alabama dismantling Auburn yesterday inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. Well, you know, I thought that uh, the offense kind of got off to a slow start. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't seem to be, you know, clicking like they normally do when they get off to their normal fast starts. I thought the defense played really well, but allowed Auburn to extend drives by some stupid penalties. And, um, you know, of course, you you always – it seems like almost every year when when Alabama and Auburn play under Gus Malzahn, there's that, you know, miracle wing and a prayer pass that somehow gets completed. (laughs) And I had another one of those yesterday, which I did not think it was pushing off, uh, by the way. Um, But all in all, I mean, it was uh, – I thought a real good team performance. They went in, at the, you know, went in at the half and got things corrected on both sides of the football. And uh, you know, I'm, I was um, a little bit upset that you know Alabama looks to be you know iffy at best for Isaiah Bugs' availability this coming Saturday. That looked like a nasty knee hyperextension initially to me. Um, the fact that he was even able to you know to attempt to go back out there and try it out a couple times, you know, makes me think that it's not a serious injury. I just don't know if he'll be ready to go by this Saturday. But, um, you know, you saw Tua and those receivers get clicking in the second half. Um, another outstanding performance by Josh Jacobs. Um, you know, the, I thought once Alabama went to the two running back set, they were basically able to dictate the pitch and then the flow of the game. And, you know, that was kind of a, a new wrinkle, so to speak, with the plays that they were running off of it. So um, I, I thought it was a great performance. Um You know, and I think looking ahead to this weekend, you know, the thing that I think is ultimately going to be the difference um, is is I think Georgia's defense is not near as good as it was last year, and it wasn't as good. It wasn't a great unit last year. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, they're going to be without their best inside linebacker, Monty Rice. Um, They've struggled um, all year long to get pressure and, and sack the quarterback. And I think when you factor in that, you know, Tua and those wide receivers are going to be playing indoors on turf, um, I just think it's going to be too much for Georgia to overcome. They're not going to be able to keep pace score-wise. And, William, how how nice was it to see LeBron Ray step up? I thought he had the best game of his career uh, with Isaiah Bugs going down early in the first quarter. I thought, uh, you know, that uh, first of all, it was a cut block, another kind of dirty play, uh, but that's part of football there. It's not illegal, but uh, still thought it was kind of a cheap shot. But LeBron Ray ends up tying for the team lead with Dylan Moses with nine tackles. He had a sack. Uh, I thought uh, that uh, he was kind of his coming out party. We've kind of expected this. I think he's an elite talent. I think next year is going to be his time. But uh, I thought it was big the way he performed against Auburn on Saturday. Yeah, you know, there's two people on that unit that I've been trying to kind of give a heads up on to people all year long that you could just see that, they were coming, and, uh, you know, LeBron Ray was one of them, and Shaheen Carter was the other. Yes, he played great uh, yesterday, too. Great point, yep. You know, uh, Ray's just, you know, he's got a chance, to be honest with you, to finish with better statistics this year than Quinn and Williams had in in 2017. So, you know, I think he's finally got it all down. He's, 
you know, where he needs to be in the strength and conditioning department weight-wise. And, uh, you know, I think he's a guy that can really help going forward um, the rest of this season, whether Isaiah Bugs is able to play Saturday or not. I think he's going to be a key guy the rest of the season. But certainly as Alabama looks to, you know, rebuild that defensive line next year, you know, I think he's going to be one of the bell cows going forward. Um, you know, a, not not quite as big as, as you know, Raekwon Davis and, and Williams and Bugs, but maybe a little bit more quick twitch, more of a, you know, a prototypical 4-3 um, defensive end, although he's playing in a 3-4 scheme. And then, William, talk about Shy Carter. He kind of struggled, uh, but as did the whole defense against Arkansas. Uh, but since that performance, giving up 31 points, this defense has really come into – uh, come of age under Tosh Lupoy and Pete Golding. Uh, and then I, I, I thought Shy Carter, especially in the last month and a half, really picked up his game and has really played very, very well. And, uh, in the, in the, and I think uh, yesterday may have been the culmination of all that. He played really, really well, as you rightly pointed out. Yeah, I think you know, that back end of that defense has just come so far since the first right. of the season. You know, here we are at the end of the regular season and the best true freshman corner in college football still hasn't given up a touchdown. Um, Savion Smith has gotten a lot better. And those three guys on the back end of the middle of the defense, Xavier McKinney, Deontay Thompson, and Shaheen Carter are just ball hawks. I mean, if you uh, don't fit that ball in that window, um, they're going to, they're going to at worst knock it down, if not intercept it or tip it. And um, I think that's the strength of this team. Yeah, it is. It's one of the strengths. I think this is secondary. It's been amazing, the progress uh, as a unit that they've made. And even without Trevon Diggs with Sertain and how he's developed and uh, Savion Smith. Of course, Savion gave up the, the deep touchdown yesterday, but still has been very solid overall. And this group has been very, very good. No question about it. And then Alabama, Tua Tungvaloa continues 25 of 32, 324 yards program tying with your old teammate Gary Hogsworth, five touchdowns, breaks the uh, record because he ran for the first one, six touchdowns responsible in a game. Uh, And amazingly, William has now got his completion percentage back up to 70% uh, for the season. Uh, And now, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about Kyler Murray and Oklahoma after they uh, played a seven-on-seven game and beat West Virginia in some piss-poor, pathetic uh, excuse for football that some of the softest you're ever going to see. I mean, Defense, they can't even spell it, uh, but certainly uh, Oklahoma is very good offensively, uh, and uh, Kyler Murray's had a heck of a year. But I thought it was a nice statement made by Tua Tungvaloa. I think he still needs to finish it uh, by having a big game against Georgia to finish off uh, uh, the Heisman Trophy campaign. But just your thoughts on Tua's performance and, and uh, also you know Jalen Hurst getting back in and making a great throw to Jalen Waddell. Did, did we lose him? Did we lose you, William? We may have lost him for a split second there, Thomas. We may have to get him back yeah. as, as he was giving us his thoughts on the Heisman. Uh, but, uh, but but as you try to get him back, um, uh, we could uh, <laughs> we we could talk about uh, what he's about that Heisman Trophy race. Personally, it was nauseating to watch that Big Twelve game. Uh, because yes. I, I just thought it didn't even look like, you know, legitimate football. I mean, th- those those fools out there don't even know what defense looks like. You got clowns on Twitter saying that they're not sure Tua Tungvaloa could do what Kyler Murray does because he it, Kyler has to score every time because his defense is so bad. Let me tell uh, all you muttonheads something out there. Do you know what Tua Tungvaloa would do if he played – 95 to 100 percent of the snaps played four quarters and played against that piss poor putrid ass football in the big 12 he would throw for 4,500 to 5,000 yards and 50 to 60 touchdowns and it would be a runaway train Kyler Murray was in the SEC for a year do you have Alabama's talent around him no but he still had some NFL talent and guess what he didn't do shit you understand he didn't he, I think he had maybe seven interceptions he didn't, he didn't distinguish himself at all. Is he still a great player? Yes. Is he a great athlete? Absolutely. May end up being a major league baseball player uh, with the Oakland Athletics. And if he is, more power to him, man. He's a great athlete, great player, but he's not to a tongue of Iloa. He's not the quarterback he is. He's not the Heisman Trophy winner, in my opinion. He's playing in a great system at Oklahoma that allows him to throw in huge windows. And if they play Alabama, they'd give up 70 points and they'd get their ass blown off the field. And I guarantee you he'd throw at least two picks. 
because I don't think he's Baker Mayfield either, okay? So everybody's overrating this cat. He's a great player, but to a tongue of Iloa, he's not. You can't compare the two as passers, man. I'm sorry. Drew, I, I have William back. He he came back. I yeah, don't know sorry, what happened, guys. But... I'm sitting out on my front porch. I don't know what why the signal got dropped. But... It's all good, William. I was just going on a rant about the Heisman Trophy and <laughs> yeah. Kyler Murray. And I mean, look, man, I think the kid's a great athlete. Okay, he's a first round pick in baseball. Got paid three million bucks. I mean, you know, kudos to him. And he's had a hell of a year for Oklahoma. I'm not berating him really, but I'm just t- the the narrative, I guess. I just, you know. And you have to factor it in. Kyler was in the SEC. He was a young player then, but he didn't set the woods on fire, okay? He's playing in a league that's allergic to defense. It inflates stats. And the best way to go about and and, uh, and, and prove it is I had a chance, with along with my guys at the radio station, Wes Neighbors, Scott Tyson, we interviewed, you know, we had we had the the pleasure of interviewing Jarrett Stidham at SEC Media Days, and he talked about how different it was from the from the standpoint of speed and defensively from the SEC to the Big Twelve because he played in both leagues. And you look at Jarrett Stidham; he's a talented guy. I don't think he's a first round draft pick. I think he can play pro football, but he didn't. He had a good year last year when he had a better supporting cast. This year he was so so. What I think he should do is graduate transfer, maybe play for a guy like Mike Leach improve his quarterback skills because I don't think he's been developed under Gus Malzahn. But again, if he was in the Big 12, he'd be putting up these meaningless stats again. You don't see any of these Big 12 QBs sans Baker Mayfield, and Baker's off to a nice start, you know, maybe being NFL quarterbacks. Most of them struggle. And I, and another thing about Kyler Murray, the dude's 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, I just don't see him translating to the NFL as a quarterback. Maybe as a slot receiver or, a, or a, you know, a kick returner, an athlete, but and I know he can throw the ball, but I just don't see this guy translating as an NFL quarterback, William. And I just wanted to say that. I mean, I just think two is the best player on the best team. And the best way for me to equate it is, and I've said this many times this weekend, some people want to criticize Tua for not playing four quarters. Well, he's already put up the numbers. And he's play, and guess what? He may have a great team around him, and he does. But the best way to, to, uh, to, to uh, show his impact is you look at the numbers of all Alabama's skill people, and you can look at them last year under Jalen Hurts and this year under Tua, and there's no comparison. And that's the impact of Tua Tungvaloa. Was Alabama still winning? Yes. Jalen Hurts played good enough football and had a good defense behind him to direct Alabama to the national championship game. But when you have a guy like Tua who is truly transcendent and special, that's when an offense blossoms and when you have so many weapons. And quite frankly, this Alabama offense has a chance to be one of the best ever if they can finish the drill because I've just never seen an offense as as well-rounded as this one at times, William. No, I agree. And and if you look at the distribution of the passes, I mean, you've got four wide receivers and a tight end that have flourished under, you know, both Tua and Mike Loxley and Danny Enos this year. Um, hell, even Jalen Hurts. Um, you yeah, know, he's improved as well. Yes, yeah. better player than he was last year. Um, yeah, it was great to see him throw that pass yesterday for his, you know, um, exit stage left performance on his last game in Bryant Denny Stadium. Um, but I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be much of a debate. I, I think before we got before I got cut off, um, what I was trying to say is, is Tua has been consistently the leading front runner for that award all year long. And, you know, maybe while he, while he was hurt, you know, you saw Murray maybe make a small move. But I think when it's all said and done, it's going to be a pretty unanimous decision for the voters. I expect Tua to win the award. Well, and I'm going to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation. I know he was about to say something before I went postal a little bit there. <laughs> but, 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 Thomas, uh, give us your thoughts on Kyler Murray and, and Tua. And I know uh, we're, we're on the same page pretty much when it's of the opinion of the Big 12. Well, Okay. Let's 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 really talk about some of the things you're bringing up. Tua has a great team around him, but if there's one thing I've gotten from watching a handful of Oklahoma games is Kyler Murray's working with a very very good offensive line as well. Oh yeah, they have great skill people at Oklahoma. That's a good point. So so I guess I see in terms of each offensive skill group, you know, called the skill group, the offensive lines, etc. The offenses in general have comparable talent levels, but partially, you know, Kyler Murray's put up all these numbers because his defense has been awful, and Alabama's defense has rounded into form. But 
you know, I go back to what the Alabama offense was when teams, you know, go back to something like the Arkansas game, you know, 65-31, or really up until the LSU game where Alabama's defense, you know, everything pretty much clicked. And I think that's that was kind of the turning point game. You could see some of it with Tennessee, but I think it really clicked against LSU. Alabama's offense to that point was more efficient than Oklahoma's. Now, they've had some degradation of those statistics because LSU's defense is legitimate. Mississippi State's defense is legitimate. Auburn's defense, even though I've said on the program they're not that good, statistically they're fairly legitimate. And all three of those teams are, you know, essentially better than the best defense that Oklahoma has seen in the Iowa State Cyclones. So I guess I don't really understand this aside from, well, we need to generate a storyline and let's generate a storyline because our listeners, our our clicks, our whatever, are not clicking because what else can we say about Tua Tonga-Vailoa that hasn't already been said? I mean, I feel like this whole thing is extraordinarily manufactured, and frankly, I'm not sure Kyler Murray is, even deserves to be second. I really like what Gardner Minshew has done out for the Washington State Huskies, and I do not put that loss in the Apple Cup on his plate, because if you watched that game, they played in a blizzard. Well, yeah, and, that's true. And so, you know, I'm more a Minshew guy than I am a Murray guy. But I guess to me, this whole thing feels extraordinarily manufactured. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Tua Tango Vailoa Alabama offense against the Georgia defense in the show. But, you know, let's let's just stick a fork in this entire debate. If Tua goes out and does essentially what he did to Auburn uh, yesterday, last night, last yesterday afternoon into the evening, this Heisman Trophy is completely wrapped up. It's almost totally wrapped up right now, but you know what's the one thing you can say about Tua Tagovailoa throughout the season? He's never. It's that he's never given the Heisman Trophy brain trust, the voters or the people that talk about this, any reason to take anything away from him, except the idea that he's only played 64% of this, of the, of his offenses snaps. And I think that went off a little bit last night because he did play into the fourth quarter, but you know, Oh darn, the worst thing we can say is this guy's been so good and so dominant that he's only played two thirds of the offensive snaps because his team has been so far up through every single game. And the stat that I want to say over and over and over again, because this is the craziest thing I saw in the broadcast, the CBS broadcast, Alabama joins the 1888 Yale football team as the only team to beat every opponent they've played by over 20. Yeah, that's Two pretty amazing. for that. Yeah. But, you know, I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And before I bring William back into the conversation, uh, it's kind of a perfect segue. Another Heisman candidate should be Dwayne Haskins. I mean, he's thrown 41 touchdowns uh, for Ohio State. Of course, you still can't put – uh, you know, uh, away that, you know, 29 point loss on the road to Purdue. I mean, that was pathetic. I mean, everybody knows that, but wow. I mean, uh, what, a, what a thud by Michigan. And you know, you know, I had to reach out to Colin Cowherd and ask him about his boy Harbaugh after he said he was the best coach in football and no doubt better than Nick Saban. I know the, the, the mutton head is just trying to get people to, you know, pay attention to him at Fox and 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 I don't really respect that, especially if he doesn't really believe it. If he really believes it, he doesn't know football. And secondly, uh, if he's saying it just to you know get clicks and get people to listen, I mean that's pathetic. You need to you know give your opinions, but then try to be knowledgeable and understand uh, the game. And and so I just think I thought it was just unbelievable. They get sixty two points dropped on them, uh, and then they you know it's supposed to be the best defense in college football. I mean, I had people telling me, boy, what a matchup that would be, Michigan versus Alabama. Well, I guess we, we saw basically what it would have been, except, uh, I don't know, Bama probably would have scored 70 and held them to maybe maybe in the low 20s. But unbelievable uh, that, they, that, once again, Jim Harbaugh falls flat on his face. Urban Meyer owns him. I mean, he's never won a championship at any level. Has there ever been a coach that is more overhyped 
than Jim Harbaugh. I mean, I, I, I just, I can't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I guess just because he was a really good player, he played at Michigan, he played in the NFL, uh, and then he had some success as a coach, but my goodness, he's been overrated and his team just absolutely lays an egg. I think they've lost now seven in a row to Ohio state. Uh, they, he, you know, urban Meyer has completely owned that rivalry. Now it's, it's almost, it's flipped the script to when John Cooper was being owned by Lloyd Carr and those guys. But, but William, I mean, what, a, what, just what an absolutely putrid performance by Michigan yesterday. Yeah. And I mean, I've got to agree with you. I could probably come up with some other names, but when you factor in how much he's being paid, oh. um, you know, the hype that's been surrounding him and that program ever since he's been there, ever since he's been there, um, I have to totally agree with you. Um, you know, you can't, you certainly can't sit here and say he inherited a talent, you know, talent void roster because he didn't. Um, he's had some great recruiting classes since he's been there, so you can't say that the talent's not there. But you know, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a a team that was favored to win the football game um, come apart like that, especially in such a big rivalry game. I mean, it was a you know a close game for you know about a quarter and a half, and all of a sudden, you know, they just imploded and. Uh, you know, it was like watching a bad train wreck. And, uh, you know, it, I'm glad it happened when it did. You know, now you can get them out of the equation for the college football playoffs. I, I kind of think that something similar could possibly happen with Notre Dame, depending on who oh. they're matched up with in the playoffs. No doubt. Um, you know, so, and again, I think you just have to go back and, you know, tip your hat to Nick Saban. Um you know, the whole time he's been the head coach at Alabama, I don't think he's ever lost a game by more than 14 points. Um, you never see them implode like that, um, you know, whatever the matchup is. And, uh, you know, I just think that goes to show you the separation between Nick Saban and, you know, Urban Meyer and, and, and people like that. So, and Jim Harbaugh. So, um, I just, you know, and I'm glad it took place when it did so we don't have to sit there and say, oh, you know, they they stuck a – uh, a patsy up there like Michigan State again for Alabama to you know bulldoze in the playoffs. I'm glad it's over with. Okay, I got a we got to broach something that just broke on Twitter just a, a little bit ago before we started this podcast. And first, it was started by uh, Terrell Lewis, who said he tweeted out a picture of himself after the sack in the national championship game and said maybe I should pick up where I left off. And now Mac Wilson is tweeting. We may have a surprise this weekend. Personally, you know, going back early in the season, I said the earliest that we would ever see Terrell Lewis was in the in the playoff, maybe SEC championship game. But really, I was focusing more on the semifinal and final if Alabama were, you know, in the playoff, which, I mean, I think they should be. Honestly, we'll talk about this later. I think they should be in win or lose against Georgia. I think they're winning the game. I think they're winning impressively. But William – I just find it hard to believe. I know rehabs have changed, but I mean, I'm thinking in my head, I think it was July he got hurt. So you're thinking August, September, October, November, roughly five months, maybe. I just can't fathom that he would be back this weekend against Georgia. What are your thoughts about Terrell Lewis? I think they're just kind of trolling or playing mind games with the dogs. Do you think we see him Saturday? No, I don't. I really, because I hadn't even heard that he's been practicing. I mean, come on, I, that's just hard for me to believe. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought from day one, earliest case would be the uh, the, the first playoff game in late December. Um, maybe even more realistic, the national championship game, but not. I don't think that's a possibility at all. I'll be absolutely shocked if that takes place. And Thomas, I'll bring you in here. I mean, you're a very analytical guy. You're, you're a smart guy. That's hard for me to believe that Terrell Lewis would be back. Now, and, and trust me, an ACL is different from an elbow injury, okay? I just I can't see this happening with a knee. Well, even if it were to happen, it's not just rehab. It's getting back into you know, football, what, shape. football shape. You know, it's football trim. One of the things we talked about at around A-Day the offensive line looked kind of bad because they were in the middle of, you know, changing their bodies to prepare for the season in six months. Like stuff like that is a real thing. I I personally would be shocked. Um, wonder of wonders if it actually were to happen. But 
at the same time, you know, what are you going to get here? If you're going to get the Terrell Lewis that's full go, 100%, you know, tear people's heads off, great. But I don't even see that. So, you know, what's he going to be? Is he going to be a, a, a rabbit rusher extraordinaire? I mean, okay, but I don't think that part of the Alabama defense is broken anyway right now. So I just I don't really get it. If he comes out and has a great game, I'll eat my crow pie and be happy to eat it. But it's it's very hard to see just thinking about even the closer, the better rehab times and whatnot that we're seeing in sports throughout the throughout the world, really. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. I would be shocked. I mean, trust me, I'm already getting blown up on Twitter. People asking me, is Terrell Lewis going to play? I will be stunned if that happens. And, and you know, just for his sake, I mean, he needs to be healthy. He needs to have a big year next year uh, to be the first-round draft choice, I think people anticipate. Uh, but uh, but I will say, uh, to, to go back to uh, the, uh, the Alabama uh, and the victory in the Iron Bowl, another thing that really impressed me, and I know he only got five carries for 29 yards, uh, but he, I believe he had 53 receiving yards. In a, in, a, in a touchdown that was just an amazing throw by Tua Tungvaloa, and that's the continued uh, evolution of Josh Jacobs. Uh, he continues, even though he doesn't start, uh, to be a huge part of this football team, and we see kind of what Alabama may have missed a year ago with him not being healthy most of the year, but, I mean, wh- what a season he's had. I mean, uh, and it was good to see Damian Harris back for his final game, co- recovering from the concussion, but I thought Jacobs was huge against Auburn as a receiver. They really seemed to see something on film and put him in the game plan. And that throw from Tua was ridiculous. Uh, you know, just asking Josh about it, we were kind of laughing. And, and he said, you know, he didn't even think Tua was going to throw it because he was being double covered. Uh, but Tua throw, shows what a special QB can do, you know, placing it perfectly. And a great run after the catch, too, by Josh. But William... He's become really a true weapon that's hard for people to game plan for, and I think he could be huge against Georgia. Well, I've been saying for several months now that I think he's the best all-purpose back on the team. Um, it's it's kind of funny. Every you know CBS game that's broadcast, you hear Gary Danielson go into full homer mode over him, and um, you know it's obvious. I mean, uh, the, the guy can play so many different positions, running back you know, fullback, H-back, where he could lie, you can split him out wide as a slot wide receiver. And, um, you know, the only thing that's ever kept him from reaching this level um, in the past has been, you know, injuries. Um, he's been lucky to avoid those this year. And um, I think he's got a really bright future, um, you know, going forward. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, after each one of these performances, um, you know, he keeps moving up people's draft boards because he is such a versatile player. And, uh, yeah, he, he could be a, a great weapon against Georgia and whoever else they face beyond that. So, um, yeah, I think he's one of the, the key cogs in this team. You can tell that Nick Saban, um, you know, after the uh, the taunting penalty yesterday, you, know, you saw Nick go over there and talk to him about it. He didn't, you know, jump his ass about it. So you can tell there's a respect level there uh, between Nick and, and Josh Jacobs. But, no, he, he's one of my favorite players on the team. Um, you know, every time he touches the football, he uh, looks to punish somebody after he runs down the field, uh, does the same thing. You know, go back and watch the, the, him as a blocker on Tua's touchdown run there. Um, yes. You know, in the first – in the, excuse me, the first half. But, uh, yeah, I think he's one of the best players on the football team. And I've got to ask you, um, we saw him come back this week. They, You know, Alabama – They and some people were complaining because, you know, they, they didn't run the football – you know, effectively at times. But when you go back and look at it in its totality, uh, they, they still, you know, had a pretty good day. They averaged, you know, nearly five yards per rush, uh, which is, yeah, I think, you know, which shows, you know, that they, uh, because they only ran 26 times, but they still gained 123 yards. Uh, and, and again, this is a, more of a passing team, passing to set up the run almost at times. It's a different style. But William, what did you think about the return of Deontay Brown at left guard and how he performed? thought he did really well, and, and uh, yeah, I think he's another guy. If he continues to do the things that the coaching staff asks of him, uh, you know, continues to improve upon his body, um, yeah, he's got a bright future and will play football for a long time. You know, it, uh, you know there again, the, 
you know, at least in this you know, specific game, the weak link was Alex Leatherwood. You know, mental errors got beat several times. Um, and going back to what you know Thomas said, uh, talking about the A Day game, and I think we've touched on this before, but you know, the listeners don't ever need to expect really any of the big people on either side of the football to not have a little bit of a bulge around their waistline during the A-Day game. It's, it's scientific fact. It's almost impossible to get bigger and stronger without gaining weight. Mm-hmm. So they're never going to look game ready, um, you know, for the season and, and at the end of April. You know, that, that takes place over the summer. But um, to, to piggyback off what you said, Drew, this is a, you know, this isn't Jim McElwain's offense. You know, it's a, it's a spread offense. Um, it's, a, in my opinion, a pass-first offense, understandably so, with the skill players that they have. And, they, they, you know, I think they do a lot better when they try and run counters and, and zone plays to the outside, um, you know, versus up the middle because the, the, the two weak links in the offensive line are at center and right guard. And uh, it is what it is. And uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, week in and week out, the offense does great. Um, and, and, again, you know, the, the goal of offensive football is to take what the defense gives you and attack what they're not good at. And it's a lot easier to stack the box with seven or eight guys, especially if you have a defensive line like, you know, Mississippi State and Auburn does, and shut down the inside run. Um, you know, if you're the offensive coordinator, why run into a brick wall when, you know, you can dial up the stuff that you saw in the second half against a very weak Auburn secondary. And if you look at, you know, the next team going forward, um, they're not that great on every level of their defense. But aside from uh, DeAndre Baker on one side of the field at corner, that is a very porous Georgia secondary. And if you want to peek a little bit more off into the future, um, I've said this since week two when uh, A&M gave them all they wanted. Clemson's got a horrible secondary as well. So, um, that's just something to keep in the back of your mind going forward. Yeah, and uh, I I think it's interesting. I, and I, I was hoping you'd start kind of breaking down that Georgia defense because they haven't had much of a pass rush. Now, their numbers are good from the standpoint of scoring defense, William, but uh, Thomas brought up a great point about, you know, not facing offensive juggernauts. I mean, there's uh, Missouri. I'll be honest with you, and I, I want to, before we uh, continue to break down Georgia, I, I wanted to bring up Missouri because. We talked about Missouri kind of scaring the daylights out of them, and if it wasn't for a a fumble return from Tyson Campbell and then you know a blocked punt, Georgia might have lost the game because they got gashed a little bit by Missouri. I saw every game inside Bryant Denny Stadium this year, William, and I'm going to tell you something: the best football team I saw Alabama play off the hoof from a talent perspective was Missouri. And I know people well, will look at me like I'm cross-eyed. But I just, I'm just talking about their football players on both sides of the ball, except I think they weren't very well coached, and that's why they blew a game against Kentucky and South Carolina. They had no business blowing. That should have been a 10-2 and two football team. Well, the, the thing that surprised me, Drew, and it wasn't just against uh, Alabama, you go back and watch that, that Missouri-Georgia game. You know, Drew Locke was off that day. I think yeah. his best receiver was out with an injury. And they didn't throw the ball that well against Georgia, but they they gashed them on the ground. Mm-hmm, they did. Um, that's right. They they had success running the football on Alabama, and uh, you know a, a team that's proven to, um, you know, I still think they're a pretty solid defensive team, especially um, in the back end of their defense, despite what went on last night. But you know, look at the success that LSU had running the football against Georgia. Mm-hmm. Two hundred and seventy-five so, you know, yards, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, I said this before the year started. You know, they were average at best last year on the D-line. Um, the fact that they had a top-10 draft pick and Roquan Smith at linebacker kind of mitigated a lot of that stuff. But, you know, they took a step backwards at, at, at linebacker this year. Now they're going to be without their, their best inside linebacker this year in Monty Rice and then go to the back end of that defense, which was bad last year, and, you know, you've seen all kinds of personnel changes back there. You know, they thought Tyson Campbell was going to be ready. He's been benched and lost his position. So, you know, I think that one thing that I would look for this weekend out of Georgia 
is I think you might see Kirby Smart because even though they don't have the personnel set up to really pull it off, they don't have, you know, Jake Fromm's A.J. McCarron. He's not a dual-threat quarterback. But I think you're going to see an up-tempo, um, no-huddle offense out of them to kind of give themselves whatever advantage that they have. I'm not saying they're going to come out and throw the football all over the place. They're still going to run the ball to set up the pass. But I think they're going to look for every edge that they possibly can. It wouldn't surprise me to see um, uh, uh, fields um, in certain situations because Alabama does you know, have a proven track record of having problems with a, with a dual-threat quarterback that can run. Um, but I, to me, that's really the um, – so one of the things that I think that Kirby Smart and Jim Chaney may try to, you know, kind of catch Alabama in to um, try and find some type of advantage because their offensive line is beat up. They're going to be without Ben Cleveland. It's been a revolving door um, all season long. Um, you've seen several players play multiple positions due to a lack of depth. You know, it's really, you know, they've got an elite left tackle in Andrew Thomas. Um, I, I'm still not convinced that uh, Wilson is a full-time SEC right tackle, especially in pass pro. I think that's a matchup to uh, keep an eye on um, versus Alabama's pass rush. And so, you know, um, Raquan Davis and Deron Payne had their way with the interior of that Georgia um, offensive line last year, and I expect it to be a problem for them again this year. And then, uh, you know, with Alabama uh, offensively, uh, you know, uh, facing Georgia's defense. Uh, I just, uh, I know uh, they're going to, uh, the, the Alabama should, like they did against LSU, they were able to run the football against them. I expect them to be able to have some success running the ball against Georgia, but I just don't see how they're going to stop Tua Tungvaluwa. They don't have much of a pass rush. Certainly, I know they're probably going to change some things up in blitz, but I got to think that Alabama is going to be able to throw the football against these guys. Uh, and 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 uh, I I I think that it uh, I picked thirty four seventeen, but I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama got up in the forties. William, I I just don't see how they're going to keep two under three hundred yards and this Alabama offense under five hundred. I guess they're going to try to control the ball, but uh, you know, is there? I guess first of all, is there any concerns with Alabama's run defense against two good backs? They don't have Sony Michelle and and then Chubb, but. You know, Holyfield and and especially Swift have been pretty good this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't anticipate any. I mean, I think that um, you know their 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 best bet is to maybe test the edges. Um, you know, you've seen yeah uh, Christian Miller. You know, at times this year, um, you know, get lost setting my edge. I think Anthony Jennings is is repeating what he did last year. Man, that guy's coming on and being a monster at the right time. Had had two great weeks in a row. Um, where he's he's flashed and made explosive plays. But like I said when we first started talking, Drew, I think one of the huge keys um, for this game this weekend is is Tua and those skill players, the wide receivers, Nerf Smith, playing indoors on a dry, dry fast surface. I think that's a, a big advantage for them. Um, you know, if Georgia does, you know, have to go into ball control mode, um, that that's just – kind of opening up Pandora's box, you know, um, Jake Fromm has consistently shown, in my opinion, over his career, yeah, if you give him a clean pocket, um, he does very well if he's got time to, you know, survey the whole field. But, you know, if you put somebody in his face, whether they get to him or not, um, he tends to panic. He's certainly not a, a threat, you know, to, to extend plays with his legs. And, um, you know, I just think if you – and this is maybe something that uh, – in a little bit, we, you know, you and Thomas and I can kind of give our opinion on who's got the advantage at each position group between the two teams. Yeah, and then, Thomas, I'll bring you into the conversation. How do you see the, these matchups? I mean, I know you told me before we started you were trying to figure out what kind of team Georgia was. Uh, but, you know, you look at it, I think Alabama's the better football team on both sides of the ball, really by a double-digit margin. I, I do think Georgia's a, a good football team. And maybe the best team Alabama has faced since they've probably improved since LSU. But still, Alabama went on the road and beat LSU 29 nothing. They're going to be playing in a de facto road game in Atlanta. But I, I just think Alabama, I think they're really kind of really pretty healthy for this time of year by, by this time. I just think Alabama is the better team on both sides of the ball. If they can limit Georgia's running game and not give up explosive plays, 
I think uh, it's going to be a tough for you know the Georgia to score a lot of points. But your thoughts uh, on how the the uh, on the Georgia offense versus Alabama's defense and vice versa? Well, so I, I'll I'll get to I'll segue to this point, but you know we talked briefly about the Ohio State Michigan game. And one of the things that was kind of rattling around in the back of my head was what happens when that really, really good Michigan defense runs into an offense that is more talented than they are. And I don't know how you can look at the Ohio State offense and not see just uber talent all over the field, particularly just being really fast and being able to hit you in ways that are very difficult to defend. Now, why do I bring that up? I feel like a lot of the SEC championship has some similar things going on. You know, you look at the Georgia, Georgia's offense. Georgia's offensive statistics are really based on efficiency. You know, they want to run the ball. They want to stay on schedule. And they're going to trust Jake Fromm to be very, very, very accurate and keep the offense moving down the field. The defense, because they're not put in very many tense situations, is able to choke off a lot of what the opponent does, and Georgia ends up pulling away and playing really well. But I think this Georgia defense has a serious problem because they've seen nothing like what Alabama's bringing to the table. You know, maybe you can argue that Drew Locke is in the same orbit as Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I'm not really really willing to go there, and the Missouri skill players are not the Alabama skill players. So we've already seen at least, you know, what an Alabama light was able to do to Georgia early in the season. And frankly, I think Missouri should have won that game, but they decided to shoot their own foot off multiple times. Uh. Georgia deserves credit for being able to take advantage of that, and they won the football game. I take nothing away from them. But, you know, when Tua Tonga-Vailoa is on the field, it's it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me as to how Georgia can attack them. You know, you look at what Mississippi State did against Alabama. You look at what Auburn did to a certain extent against Alabama, and they were able to consistently get pressure either with the blitz or occasionally rushing three or four. Well, both of those teams were really, really good in sacks compared to Georgia. You know, Georgia has 20 sacks on the year. What? 20 sacks? That should scare absolutely nobody coming in, particularly when you factor in that Jonah Williams has been almost completely un- unbeatable as a left tackle, and Jedrick Wills as a pass blocker has consistently graded out very, very highly. So I just I think Georgia's in for a long day. If they have to start bringing pressure, which is something that we did see from Mississippi State and Auburn, with a blitz, you know, Tua can start popping that stuff. You know, are you going to – how you choose to defend behind that is going to be an open question. So I, I, I think I've settled on in my mind when it comes to this matchup, this game. It feels very Ohio State-Michigan-y to me in that – not in that Ohio State hadn't played up to its talent. It's that Alabama, particularly on offense – present some things that a decent Georgia defense has not really had to grapple with. And then when you put it on the other side, you know, Georgia to me, the Georgia offense feels a lot like how Nick Saban wanted to play with an AJ McCarron back to Williams point. But I don't know how that offense is going to respond if the boat race spins up and you've got to go score 40 to win the SEC championship. We haven't seen them have to do, have to do that. They've been able to do that, but they haven't had to have to do that. And I just, I don't know. I think it's really telling that the line opened up at 10, 10 and a half and is bed bed up to 13 and a half, 14 in a matter of hours. That means that, you know, a ton of money is coming in on Alabama to cover that, which is why the line accelerated so quick, so high, so fast. And I think that's telling. I still haven't quite gotten my finger on to why some of these things are the way they are statistically, but I can't escape the fact that Georgia has been built on efficient on the offensive side of the ball. And Alabama, particularly when it talks, you talk about Quinnen Williams and Raquan Davis. I mean, 
Quentin Williams has single-handedly wrecked at least four games this year. And, and <laughs> you can true. argue you can argue if he's done more, you know, five, six, seven. That there, there are certainly arguments to be made. If Quentin Williams wrecks the interior of the Georgia offensive line, the offense is going to suffer from an efficiency standpoint. Once the offense suffers from an efficiency standpoint, I don't think the defense is good enough to just hold Alabama down. So, I mean, that that's my thought. I really I'm looking forward to spending the week looking at more of these numbers because, you know, Georgia has they look really good to a lot of the supposedly, you know, analytical metrics that I know and love, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm not sure where the statistical basis is for that yet. And in because I haven't figured that out, I just don't think this game is going to be that close. I think there are some things that Alabama is going to be able to do that Georgia's not going to have an answer for. Whereas there's been nobody this year outside of maybe Mississippi State that has do, that has done something that Alabama has struggled to answer the bell on fairly consistently throughout the year, Drew. And then I wanted to talk about this. It's probably going to be a, it's a minor thing from the standpoint of he didn't play a lot only in dime, but you know. Jared Maiden had some big moments against Mississippi State. He gets called for targeting. He'll miss the first half. We saw Keaton Anderson play for him in the second. I thought it might be Kyrie McDonald, but Keaton Anderson is a redshirt junior that's not going to come back for his final year. And He's a smart guy, been a great special teams player, but I wanted to ask you, William, you know, Georgia's not not really considered a dynamic offense, so they probably won't have Alabama in dime too much. How big of a factor is the suspension uh, until the second half, and and do you think Keaton Anderson can handle himself on an even bigger stage? I thought he did a pretty solid job in the Iron Bowl. Yeah, and then there's one other thing I want to get into about Georgia. Um, sure. I, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue against uh, against Georgia not having him back there in dime because they're, they they tend to attack the, the sidelines. They're kind of a back shoulder throw team to their wide receivers. In the latter part of the season, you know, they've kind of started to make more of an attempt and an effort to get to the – uh, to get the football to their tight ends underneath. So I think the onus is going to be more on the two corners and the inside linebackers, um, especially the inside linebackers, getting their drop to the proper depth um, to cover those tight ends. Uh, but, you know, one thing, Thomas, when you go digging off into those statistics this week that you need to look at is the three common opponents between the two teams this year, uh, Missouri, LSU, and Auburn, and look at the points scored and the points given up against all those teams between the two clubs. It's uh, it's kind of eye-opening. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, Alabama beats Missouri 38-10, I believe. 39-10. Alabama, 39-10, yeah, right. excuse me. Yeah, Georgia right. beats them 43-29. I personally think that score is deceiving because statistically Missouri was in the game, but they had a scoop and score that was just kind of fluky. The guy, you can argue that Albert O should have been down, and then Jeremiah Holloman breaks off a big play, but drops the ball on the one-yard line, but nobody reviews it, and Missouri actually picked the ball up and returned it the other way for a touchdown. It, it was a really fluky game. Alabama destroyed them. Obviously, Alabama just destroyed the Auburn Tigers you know, hilariously, even though... You know, and people went nuts about Alabama falling for eye candy and how it means that Georgia is going to be able to move the ball. And I'm going to go, I'm going to channel my manager Drew DeArmond here and just be like, that's freaking stupid. Auburn does so much motion stuff, so much eye candy, so much misdirection stuff that you're going to have you're going to have breakdowns. It's happened to Alabama every year that they've played to a certain extent. Georgia doesn't do that. Stop trying to apply the transitive property there. It doesn't really work. And then we talked about LSU. And the thing that jumps out to me the most about the Georgia LSU game is that, yes, Georgia had four turnovers, but LSU ran the ball for 275 yards, but they did it on 57 carries. I mean, that's just efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. And that is very telling, William. And you're absolutely right. I actually had those statistics pulled up in front of me. And that kind of contributes to why I'm like, you see these common data points. But a lot of the metrics are saying this game should be fairly close because they absolutely love Georgia. I personally don't. I think last year's Georgia team would wallop this year's Georgia team. And I think this Alabama team is better than last year's Alabama team that walloped last year's Georgia team, particularly in that second half of the national championship game. So, I mean, I, I, I it's the statistics are a fun thing to talk about, but it just so much is in favor of Alabama right now based on how these teams have played throughout the season. 
Yeah, one other thing that uh, would could slightly concern me. Uh, they made an adjustment, and he, and he booted a 48-yarder right after that and didn't have any more issues the rest of the game. But Bernier was kind of getting the punts off slow. Georgia will probably be aggressive trying to block a punt, no question about that. Uh, and then we did see a much better effort this week out of Joe Bulavas kicking a 30-yarder and having no issues with extra points. But, you know, Alabama, uh, you just may, they need to be even in the kicking game if they're even – I think with their offense and their defense, that's why my prediction is 34 to 17 Alabama. I think they're going to double up Georgia and win it comfortably. I just think they're the better football team, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do think they they're going to have to limit the run, you know, not turn it over. And I just think Tua is going to be the difference. I think he's going to light up their secondary. Sanders is a great corner, but the rest of that, their secondary to me is underwhelming. And then their defense as a whole, I mean, they're solid, but they're not elite. So, I just think Alabama uh, is uh, going to win and win comfortably. Uh, uh, William, uh, I know you you feel like Alabama's got the distinct advantage from the, from our uh, from our conversations of this hour, uh, but how, is this going to be a four quarter? My we, but I do think we may see Tua for the full four quarters. What do you think? Um, probably, but it wouldn't surprise me if we don't. You know, right. I just think the the difference in that game last year. Um, and it's certainly, despite all the good recruiting classes, there is still such a void um, between the talent discrepancies on the front seven on defense between the two squads. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an issue for them. You saw last year once Tua came in and they were forced to back out of the box and play honest. You, you know, you saw Najee Harris start to run wild. Um, you know, and I, I think Alabama has the advantage on the offensive line as well due to, due to uh, Georgia's injury situation. Um, you know, really the only, and this is just me being a home, you know, taking my homer cap off. Um, the only probably two areas that I would give Georgia the advantage on position group wise is the running back position, because I think Swift may be the best one of the bunch, but I think Alabama's got better depth and they've certainly got a better kicker. And they do have some really good return guys on special teams. So I'd probably call that a wash. But everywhere else, I think Alabama's got the talent advantage. Yeah, I I do think that Alabama uh, is the more talented team as well. I, I and this Georgia team is young too. I was certainly certainly they're going to be supremely motivated to to beat Alabama. But I think Alabama has been looking to this matchup as well. I think they're motivated to maybe put four quarters of what uh, they did for a half against the Bulldogs and make a huge statement uh, to the rest of uh, college football. But Thomas, yeah, I know. Go ahead, William. Go ahead. You know, what I was going to say while we're you know talking about Georgia, you know, you saw last year, especially after the close game and the national championship game, and then the way that Georgia finished their recruiting class out, you saw you saw you saw some whispers that you know you saw it you know for years now, um, you know the dynasty's over. You know, first it was uh, Urban, Me- I mean, yeah, Urban Meyer at Ohio State, then Dabo, and then you know Kirby last year. And then all of a sudden, if you start looking at how, you know, how, you know, and plus the 2017 class is so good that, that there was still a catching up factor for Georgia to do. But if you look at the class that Alabama's putting together this year, and you know, as we're sitting here talking, Alabama's got the number one class for this year and the number one class for next year. So uh, I'm still trying to figure out where this uh, Kirby recruiting bonanza is going to come from. Yeah, totally. And, and, uh, and, and Thomas, I know you've uh, you were kind of breaking it down. When you get a feel for it, uh, you talked about the spread already moving to nearly fourteen. Do you, do you see this as an Alabama? Do they continue the streak of winning by three touchdowns? I don't quite have them winning by by twenty one, but I have them winning impressively. Uh, what well, what is your pick? I'm going to go forty one seventeen. So you uh, think they can get in the forties? I think. The the thing about Georgia, their defense has been been decent. I don't want to say bad. It's been decent. It's statistically a solid defense, but it hasn't played a passing game like this. You know, you already mentioned we go. I don't I don't mean to keep tr- going over this ground, but you know, Missouri had a wide receiver out. Alabama's coming with a full complement of wide receivers that have chewed everybody up and spit them out. You know, one thing that didn't get a lot of pub last night, Alabama had another 500-yard performance against a pretty good Auburn defense. So 
you know, because of that, I think Georgia is going to struggle mightily. And you got to give a lot of credit to uh, DeAndre Baker, you know, one of the best, most highly rated corners in football throughout the first, you know, 12, 13 weeks of the season. Oh, my bad. I said Sanders yeah. Baker. You're right. Yeah. DeAndre Baker. I thought that's why you wanted to talk about recruiting, too. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll do that. We're, we're going there because recruiting, I'm way out of hey, my head. Hey, and Thomas, but. one thing that keeps just, you know, jumping in my mind, and I was more in line with Drew on my prediction before I started thinking about this just during the show, but if LSU can throw up 36 points with a zero passing game, right? that's, that's certainly on the back of my tongue right now. Yeah, well, I hope they score fifty on the sum bitches. And to be honest, <laughs> just to, to channel my my inner Buford T. Justice, I'd like it to be fifty-one to ten and really whip their ass and see uh, Jalen Hurts play a quarter and a half against these bastards. Because everybody <laughs> knows I can't stand Kirby Freeze. I mean, smart uh, because I think he's an in great cocksucker to put to be perfectly frank. And I can say that on this kind of broadcast <laughs> because I just can't stand him. So, I mean, because I just don't think, you know, to me, it goes back to the old quote uh, from the uh, from the Sopranos and Tony Soprano. You don't shit where you eat and you definitely don't shit where I eat. Yeah. And that's where wow, it goes. That's a blast from the past. Yeah. And so I just think that's that's the bottom line. And I hope they play their best. Alabama plays their best. Because if they do, they will eviscerate Georgia because I don't think Georgia can play up to their level. Uh, but I'm being a little conservative because I think. You know, certainly Georgia may play their best game, and and Alabama, you know, they've played you know great football at times, but you know down the stretch they've been a little off. I feel also think they can be a little off and whip Georgia's ass, but you know I. But again, uh, I hope they get up in the forties. I want to see forty touchdown passes for uh, Tua Tungavaloa. He needs two hundred ninety eight yards to break Blake Sims' passing record for a season. Uh, oh, I have to get that easy. And then, I think he'll get that easy. And then he needs, I think, around 440 yards all-purpose to break the total offense record, which he's still behind Jalen Hurts in 2016 at 3,700 yards, and he's and of course Blake Sims set the record. And and just by what by the way, I still don't think Blake Sims gets enough credit for the year he had, and I think fans forget it because Alabama didn't win the national championship. But and I know they talk about well he threw to Amari Cooper and Amari Cooper had you know seventeen hundred yards he still threw to other guys okay he had an outstanding year he he I mean just an an amazing one really and so I just think that they don't give him enough credit but I think Tua is about to eviscerate all those records and you know and it's mind boggling to think that he could end up with forty touchdowns and two interceptions I mean just mind blowing but okay, I just something I, else oh, go I'm sorry go ahead Wade go ahead. No, one thing that, that real, going back to your hate for Kirby Smart that, that has really kind of struck a chord with me this year is, you know, to me the, the mark of a great coach is a guy that does a lot of self-scouting and figures out, well, you know, maybe I'm not that good at this. Maybe I need to make a change. And, you know, one thing that was proven over and over again when Kirby Smart was the defensive coordinator at Alabama was there was two things that he struggled with. Um, a dual-threat quarterback and a drop-back quarterback that had good wide receivers that could throw the football in tight windows. And you, you know as well as I do, you're, you're probably, unless you've got a, you know, 2016-2015 Alabama-type defense, you're, you're not going to beat this Alabama football team with a game manager at quarterback. And the longer this season played out and the less Kirby Smart got Justin Fields ready to play this matchup. And I'm not saying we don't see a bunch of them on Saturday. If, if Kirby's, you know, half the coach that he thinks he is, I would expect to see it. But the fact that he has stuck with Fromm and not gotten Fields any more game reps than he has, and I'm not talking about against the Georgia Techs and the UMasses of the world. Um, if that was Kirby Smart, that would certainly be in my bag of tricks for this Saturday because it's just something that Nick Saban and whoever his defensive coordinators have been have struggled mightily with over the years. Yeah, and and so uh, and William, I know uh, Thomas uh, thinks that Alabama can get. He, I think he said forty-one seventeen. I said thirty-four seventeen. What what is your pick for as far as score wise? What is your feel for it? You know, as bad as their secondary is and as bad as Kirby struggles to shut down a good passing game, I was going to go in the mid-30s. 
Um, but I'm I'm gonna go side more with Thomas. I'm gonna say 41 to 14. Yeah, that's the, I hope so. That would be uh, just an ass whipping that I would thoroughly enjoy. But as we're winding it down, William, there has been a lot of recruiting news come out of the weekend. Uh, I can confirm I saw Clay Webb leaving uh, Bryant Denny Stadium with Tosh Lupoy. Uh, after the game I had my head on a swivel a little bit and I caught a quick glimpse and went outside and certainly it was Tosh Lupoy and Clay Webb so he was there uh, we confirmed that Kobe Dean was there there's already been an interview with him uh, and we of course had Trey Sanders Evan Neal uh, those guys and Nolan Smith you know the, 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 the trio from IMG Academy no 2019 news yet but a lot of 2020 uh, running back Roy Dale Williams of Hueytown committed uh, he's had a he had a huge uh, uh, you know junior season I think with around 2,800 yards and 36 touchdowns for the Hueytown Gophers uh, and then we saw Chris Braswell probably the highest profile five star defensive end continuing the St. Francis pipeline as Darian Dalcourt and uh, who's committed to Alabama and uh, and and Shane Lee they were the inside linebacker they were both there uh, so all three of those guys from St. Francis there they're former teammates of Ayabi Anoma. Uh, so that now all three of those guys are committed to Alabama. And then uh, the, uh, the one we heard about first uh, as we were leaving Brian Denny Stadium, Jovan Baker from Creekside, Georgia, the wide receiver, William. Uh, now Alabama with the number one recruiting classes in 2019 and 2020. Give us your thoughts on this activity we saw coming out of the weekend. Well, I'll start with the wide receiver first. There's there's a lot of people that think he's going to end up being the top wide receiver in the state of Georgia next year. Um, he was handpicked by Cam Newton uh, to play on his seven-on-seven team this past summer. He was the third wide receiver um, that would line up uh, next to the likes of uh, George Pickens and uh, the Hazelwood kid that was committed to Georgia. Um, very, very talented player. I think he's um, going to end up being a – you know, a top 100 type guy. Um, Williams, I think, has a chance with some strong camp performances in a senior season to push for five-star status next year. And, uh, you know, obviously Alabama um, has, has you know, started this trend several years ago. But, you know, Chris Braswell is the long, um, you know, quick twitch type guys that they've continued to try and get um, to play those outside linebacker positions. He reminds me a lot of Ibae Anoma. Um, not so much because they come from the same area, but just their body types and their skill set. Um, so, you know, they're, you know, in the midst of, you know, finishing off what's probably going to be the number one class in the country for this year, and they're already off to a great start for next year. So, the, you know, like I said, man, the dynasty never sleeps, and this thing's not slowing down anytime soon. It really doesn't, and it's been unbelievable to watch. And I will be in attendance tomorrow at Murray's – uh, excuse me, at uh, Coleman Coliseum as the Murray State Racers were coming in for some Alabama basketball. The Tide coming off a 2-1 and one run in the Charleston Classic. Kyra Lewis played very well. I saw Kyra this weekend, or this past week, I should say, at the N2 Hoops Invitational. Uh, John Petty's recovering from a little bit of a concussion that he got on a screen, a hard screen from the end of that Wichita State game that Alabama won 90-86. So Alabama will be taking the uh, court against Murray State. And, of course, Murray State led by an unbelievable point guard uh, who is uh, they're going to have they're expecting unbelievably I think 30 to 40 NBA scouts there tomorrow so hell I hope I have a seat but uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of guys uh, coming in to watch that young man against Alabama so it'll be a dangerous game for Alabama because uh, you know everything because everybody knows uh, that uh, you know they, they didn't play very well against Northeastern and they're going this team's going to have to bring it every time they play but it's still going to be an interesting matchup, and I'll be there live tweeting, and we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, uh, next week on the show. Hopefully, after Alabama can, uh, uh, you know, uh, and Nick Saban can stay unbeaten against his former assistant coaches, uh, as he can bring Alabama to 13 and 0 and getting ready to make a college football playoff run. Uh, by this time, well, we should know uh, the matchups and what's going to happen in the college football playoff and who Alabama would be playing. Uh, but again. And the last question for both of you guys, should the un unbelievable happen and Georgia pull off the upset, I still think Alabama should be one of the top four. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts, first William and then Thomas? Well, I mean, there's already a lot of speculation and, and uh, chatter going on about that, Drew. I think certainly 
if it's a you know a last minute field goal type loss, then yeah, I think it's a slam dunk. Um, by some means, if if uh, you know the unfathomable happens and they win by double digits, maybe not. But um, I, there's already a lot of scuttlebutt and talk, which you know to me that's clickbait at this stage in the game. But yeah, I do think it's a distinct possibility if the unthinkable happens, they still will we'll get in there. Yeah, and uh, Thomas, your thoughts? Very similar to Williams. It it comes down to how the game actually you know plays out. If Alabama gets destroyed, I think there's going to be a huge argument. But the thing is, right now, if you look at it, Alabama will have as many or more current top 25 wins than anybody. And then then the two that they're really competing against in Ohio State and Oklahoma, should those two teams win out. And they have the thing in their back pocket that they've been so monstrously dominant unlike Ohio State and unlike Oklahoma. So I think barring a truly insane, you know, 20, 25 point loss to the Georgia Bulldogs, which the only way that happens is if If everybody misses the bus and we have a a flu epidemic or something, my God, I mean, Kirby Smart's not that good a damn football coach shit. I mean, let's just put that on record. There's your answer right there. But uh, that's... That's like the only possibility that Alabama doesn't make it into the college football playoff. But I really don't see that happening. This is not Alabama presents unique challenges to Georgia. So, you know, I just don't I don't I don't think I think this is just conversation to fill airwaves, much like Williams does. Well, great stuff, guys. We really enjoyed it tonight. And and again, uh, I wanted to uh, to circle back and I will be uh, just reading up a little bit on Murray State. John Morant is their uh, sophomore point guard. They're coming off a 26-win season where they went to the NCAA tournament as a 12 seed, and uh, he's averaging this year 24 points and 10 assists per game. So that's the reason for the 30 to 40 NBA scouts. This kid could be an early entry candidate after this year. So this is the kind of game that's given Alabama problems in the past. Hopefully they will come out ready uh, and play well and get a win over a quality mid-major opponent. Certainly a game they should win inside Coleman Coliseum, but Look forward to being out there tomorrow night. And we so look forward to this Alabama-Georgia game. I think everybody's looked forward to it uh, since uh, everybody was anticipating it since the national championship game that these two teams would meet. Uh, The only small hiccup was, of course, uh, Georgia uh, getting uh, dominated inside Tiger Stadium. And what a game that was yesterday, too. Wow, seven overtimes with Texas A&M and LSU. But we all think Alabama can win this game and win it impressively. And we hope to be breaking it all down for you with another Alabama win, the 13th straight next week on Sunday on BAMS Radio. But for everyone, we hope you enjoyed it tonight. We always enjoy our listeners, and we appreciate all the feedback. The show continues to grow. For William Redfish Barger and for Thomas the Wizard Watts, good night and roll tide, and we'll talk to you next Sunday.